Hello, welcome back to Europe now from Germany. And as I'm sure you can understand from the scene around me right now, we have brought you into the heart of one of the places that was so badly hit by flooding in the summer of 2021. This is the town of Stolberg. Now, normally this very small river that's running right next to me now uh, is little more than a stream. However, in July 2021, it turned into a torrent. The river burst its banks, bringing a literal wave of destruction through this town. And many of the buildings here are still uninhabitable, at least in part. The lower floors still being dried out. There's building work going on, but there's a lack of construction workers to carry out that work. Well, we're here to meet a local member of the European Parliament from the Greens Party, who himself is going to get a, a tour around Stolberg to see some of the damage that's still there so many months on. Das Wasser kam natürlich von hier. Das ist der normale Pegelstand, den wir haben. Und äh, ja, es ist Meter hoch darüber hinweggeflossen. Genau, hier ist überall durchgeflossen. Es gibt ungefähr 100 Wohneinheiten, die nicht mehr bewohnbar sind oder 100 Familien. Das kann ich jetzt nicht so. Sie müssen jetzt raus müssen. Ja, lass uns mal in die Einkaufszone gehen. Wie viele Geschäfte habt ihr, habt ihr einen Überblick, wie viele da jetzt zugemacht haben? Eigentlich alle. Also das, das Gebäude kann ich dir auch noch mal zeigen. Da war ein Friseursalon und da ist das Wasser einmal von hier durchgeschossen und hat alles kaputt gemacht. Ja. Anfang Juli stand hier der Sperrmüll so zwei, zweieinhalb Meter hoch. Und es gab nur kleine Pfade, durch die man sich hier durchschlängeln konnte. Hier sieht man auch noch mal, es musste alles rausgerissen werden. Das war ein reißender Strom. Autos wurden mitgerissen und landeten zum Teil auf dem Rathausplatz. Strom ist überall, glaube ich, in allen Häusern wieder vorhanden. Gasanschluss ist auch wieder da. Natürlich, dass wir das hier wieder so aufbauen, dass wir wieder eine florierende Innenstadt bekommen. Und auch eine florierende Stadt, die auch attraktiv ist für Menschen, sich hier wieder anzusiedeln. My name is Daniel Freund, I'm a German member of the European Parliament for the Greens and I work on transparency, democracy uh, and the future of the European Union at the European Parliament. I'm not sure they're, they're ever going to go fully back to normal. People are rebuilding, we see that uh, everywhere. Whether businesses come back the same way they were before, we don't know yet. We're fighting for that, but we, we don't know. And of course we hope that some of this reconstruction is a chance as well to not repeat some of the mistakes of the past. Looking at the coalition's policies on climate, Germany exiting nuclear this year, as was already planned, bringing the coal exit forward uh, to 2030. Many people celebrating this in terms of carbon emissions, but doesn't that risk making Germany more reliant, for example, on Russian gas? The exit from coal is very much linked to an ambitious building of renewable energy capacity. Uh, there's a plan to fill every roof in the country with uh, solar cells. Ambitious target also to reserve 2% of the country for wind energy production. Uh, so this is linked, obviously. We, we don't want 
the lights to go out, but it is possible if we now have a concrete plan for the next 10 years to build this much renewable energy capacity, then we can exit from coal and from nuclear uh, at the same time. And by that, show the world that a big economy, one of the biggest economies in the world, can make that transition. A big industrial country can make the transition uh, to fully renewable in a, in a reasonably short time span. I want to ask a question about the new coalition stance on immigration, such a massive topic, of course, for Germany in recent years. Um, it's a bold stance uh, stating out and out that immigration is needed to boost the economy, uh, wanting to open up new immigration channels. This really flies directly in the face of a lot of people in Germany who've been saying, we do not want any more immigration. Uh, the AFD party, which is anti-migration, it's still got quite a good score at the election. Well, we, we have also seen in the United Kingdom what this anti-immigrant, anti-foreigner uh, talk can produce. Then they leave and then all of a sudden you have no gas at the gas station, you have no food in the supermarkets, you have no people taking care of the elderly. We don't want that in Germany. We don't want our, our economy to collapse. And that's exactly what happens if we do not take in uh, people that help with our economy, that taking care of the elderly and so on. So you're not concerned about a backlash among the people who support the AFD party or things like Legida, Pegida, which have been well, very vocal, of course. It's, it's something, of course, that you have to explain and always communicate about what we're doing. This is not because we want to, you know, have the whole world live in Germany, but the whole world doesn't want to live in Germany. But we need qualified labor. We need people to come here and work because our population is shrinking and more and more people are retiring. So if, if we all want to have a good retirement, a good pension, we need people to come in and work here. Daniel Freund, thank you very much for your time. Thanks. Well, let's watch a report now together with our viewers about the makeup of Germany's new parliament. Uh, it is probably the most diverse in Germany's history after a big focus on getting more minorities into the parliament during the election campaigns. What, though, will this mean for the lives of ordinary Germans? Our correspondents have been to find out. At age 47, Awe Tesfayesus is starting a whole new life. This lawyer, born in Eritrea, came to Germany at 10 years of age. She's now an MP in the Bundestag for the Green Party, and she's the first black woman to sit in German parliament. I have the impression I'm doing what I've always done. From now on, I will be heard. It's a big achievement for someone who got into politics only in 2020 after a racist attack in the town of Hanau. Nine people with an immigration background were killed. I really got the feeling that I had to change something. For me, it was impossible to keep living with this kind of event taking place without reacting. I had no choice but to act. Like her, a number of MPs elected in September to the new parliament have foreign roots. They make up 11.3% of MPs, or 83 seats out of 736. Germany's parliament has never been so diverse. Awe Tesfayesus, who spent her career as a lawyer defending the rights of immigrants, intends to keep advancing their interests. The connection each person has with democracy and with parliament can only be reinforced if they see people like themselves, whom they can identify with. And I don't think for now we're quite there. Because if there's more diversity in the Bundestag now, it's still far off from representing society. 26% of the population has a foreign background. The new government, headed by Olaf Scholz, made history with a gender-balanced cabinet, 
but it's even less representative. There's only one such minister of Turkish background, Cem Özdemir, an ecologist in charge of agriculture, and almost always on his bike, even for his swearing in. But for the new Social Democratic MP Armin Zorn, there's still a significant change underway. The new coalition is promising to make it easier to get German citizenship, and allowing double citizenship will be part of that, he says. We're going to put structures in place to allow many young people and people who have come to work here a chance to build our society with us. That's what we're trying to do. And the coalition agreement is very progressive in that matter. The new measures would amount to a big shift in Germany, a country that is getting older, needs workers, and is becoming a land of immigration. This immigration specialist says it's time for political parties to accept that. For now, the political parties don't have strategies to integrate people with an immigration background into their structures after the election. The result is, every time there's a vote, they scramble to find candidates who have the profile to represent them, when instead they should think in a long-term and permanent way about getting them on board, but that isn't the case yet. Some 7 million voters are of an ethnic minority background and their numbers are increasing, a trend difficult for political parties to ignore. I'm Nicola Beer. I'm one of the vice chairs of the Liberal Party in Germany and one of the vice presidents of European Parliament. It's a reconstruction of an older situation because in the Second World War um, this was bombed, so it was destroyed totally, and we had a lot of discussion if we will have this reconstruction, but people love it, and I think it was a good idea. Well I feel like this part of the city is a symbol of regeneration and renewal. Your party now back in government in this coalition. We've been talking about promising big changes for Germany, renewal of a different kind. How different a direction is Germany going to take in the next four years? I think uh, it will really be an agenda of reforms and modernizations for the civil society, so with reforms in the family law, uh, for economy, with innovation, uh, with digitalization, with also to have really um, clean, green technologies um, to have economy and ecology in the same way. And it will also, I hope, be a new start uh, for European relations, because this was more a sleepy giant, the old government, and I really have the optimistic feeling that we can give a big pro-European response for all those questions which are important in Europe. It's no secret that there are some big differences of opinion between your party and the Greens, which are more left of centre. One area where the FDP has come closer to the Greens' position particularly is on climate policy. Uh, we've seen more ambitious targets on uh, exiting coal, for example. Now, was this inspired by the shock of the floods in Western Germany in summer 2021, which scientists do say were made worse by climate change? I think this is a part of it, but it's not the 
totally inspiration. Uh, we all know that we have to uh, protect our environment. On the goals, every th everybody uh, has the same opinion, but the question is the way to go there. And there we could really form a government which is putting investments in innovation, in, in clean technologies, so coming up with new ideas and not so much with uh, regulation hindering people, uh, hindering also um, growth, because we will need growth to pay all this what we want to invest in. There's a lot of enthusiasm among voters for the energy transition away from fossil fuels, but also a lot of fears about the jobs that are linked to those industries uh, all around Germany, in fact. Mm. Yes, of course, and such fears are real. Uh, if we do not um, make this transition in a smart way so that we have uh, decarbonization without losing industry and especially the workplaces in industry. And this is the reason why we will invest in new technologies. Nicola Baer, thank you very much for your time. Well, we've taken you pretty much all around Germany in this program. Now it's time to travel a little further into space. You might not know it, but Germany is home to two sites of the European Space Agency, or ESA. Now, this is not a European Union body. Indeed, several of its members are non-EU states, such as the UK. But right now, ESA is entering a new phase of cooperation with the EU. Our reporter, Luke Brown, has been to visit them to see about some of the new missions and how it fits in with EU ambitions and EU investment. A Sentinel satellite and the Rosetta Deep Space Probe. The crown jewels from the past decade for the European Space Agency on display in Darmstadt. This is ESOC, the European Space Operations Centre, which keeps European satellites in orbit around Earth. This centre is operational 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and 365 days a year. We look after satellites around the clock. We look after satellites that belong to all of Europe. In recent years, Europe has been pushing for more strategic autonomy in space. Its own satellite positioning system, Galileo, is now the world leader for accuracy. And the Copernicus array of Sentinel satellites delivers vital data about everything from forest fires to climate change. And the Copernicus program inherently has this real-time operation component that allows users to make requests to respond to current needs, such as ex exploding volcanoes or uh, flooding or uh, pollution threats. We need to be able to provide reliably the data in a rapid way to ensure ultimately that the users get it in time and are able to benefit from it and to react. ESOC keeps an eye on Europe's myriad space assets and potential threats. That means cataloguing 30,000 known bits of space debris, a task made all the harder in the wake of Russia's destruction of a satellite in orbit last November. It was an event that caused us a great deal of difficulty. Every space agency, including Russia's Roscosmos, does its utmost to limit the amount of space debris. And an anti-satellite test like this causes the sudden appearance of at least 1,500 pieces of debris larger than 10 centimetres. That's a huge amount. Autonomy, research and exploration. ESA's growing role allows Europe to have a voice in space. But there's a commercial side too. The data ESA collects is a valuable tool for private businesses back on Earth. Data is the oil of the 21st century and ESA has a huge, huge, huge repository of data. 300 terabyte of data are coming in uh, on a daily basis. These data 
are available, uh, free of charge uh, and openly available for any uh, European citizen. Non-EU members like the UK are part of ESA. Last year, Brussels set up its own space programme agency, USPA. Its 16 billion euro seven-year budget ensures users in Europe get the most out of Copernicus and Galileo. It is important to have such an agency that is in the middle of the EU space programme to provide uh, services to provide the navigation services, make sure that they are secure, but at the same time, uh, and very important part of our mission, make sure that they are used. With NASA, Roscosmos, as well as China, India and Japan space agencies, the final frontier is increasingly busy. With ESA and USPA, Europe is keen to ensure it keeps its place up in space. Well, here we are back down on Earth to round off this programme from Germany. Thank you very much for coming with us. We will, of course, be following all the developments here with the new coalition over the months and years to come on France 24. See you soon.